0: This message first aired on the radio on June 16, 2003. I spent some time this week going through the drudgery of the skeptics' views on the book of Daniel. They denied the existence of the prophet Daniel. Of course, you kind of have to. Otherwise, it would be in the position of the Pharisees that they'd have to say something against a prophet of God and the people would stone them like the Pharisees were with respect to John the Baptist. Here's, what, here's the argument why, why the book of Daniel couldn't have been written when it was by a prophet of God, and that is because it took up the subject of the kingdom of the heavens, which is not found anywhere else in the Old Testament, which is not exactly true, but is more characteristic Of New Testament teaching. Uh, They don't even say New Testament teaching. They go later teaching by Christian sect. So it's not true because of what it says. I mean, that's amazing that, you know, because of the subject matter that it introduces, it can't be true. Well, for you to say that, right, you have to immediately disbelieve the subject matter. You have to, like, a priori disbelieve the subject. I can't believe that, so this must be false. I know it's about something I don't believe. It's funny, though, because they make so many huge errors. In trying to strain the nap, they're swallowing a the camel. What what we see in Daniel is the is the revealed truth about the kingdom of the heavens and the fact of the mechanics of it and what's the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is uh, is where God's sovereignty is exercised. Well, that's everything. Uh, the, the 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 problem The problem with that is really, you can only have one word for everything. See, every other word really has to sort of break that down a little bit. It doesn't do you any good to have. Several different descriptions of everything, just like it doesn't do you a lot of good to have several different descriptions of nothing. It just doesn't help, and actually, mathematically, you can't say, "Well, everything is like this, and it's like this, and it's like." No, you see, that's what something is, not everything. Now we're not talking about everything. Anytime we're going to talk about anything, it's got to be something less than everything. So, so I don't know if this kingdom of God, some word of every, is it everything? Is it something less than everything? And that's why it doesn't work, because you start out with kind of meaningless statements. Where God has sovereignty. well, that's all of God. So really, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God in the context that it's taught, you're not far from the kingdom of God, so forth, so forth, like this. What that really means, kingdom of God, is your will matching His will, you understanding what God does. That's kind of the kingdom of God thought, that you understand what God does broadly, and you're you're on the right side of Him in the kingdom of God is sort of with the kingdom of God. It sort of means like that. And the Lord says, you know, the kingdom of God is in your midst, talking about the people, because the king was there. And the operational aspect of God's sovereignty when you're on the right side of it, which, of course, you're not born. You're born on the wrong side of it, and you exercise yourself on the wrong side of it all your life. So it's, it's more of that, how you are positionally with God's will. Now, the kingdom of the heavens... I mean obviously part of the kingdom of God because I mean coincident with the kingdom of God but the kingdom of the heavens really is more of a detailed notion and understanding it's actually more of a sophisticated operational understanding that that people have and they enter into operating in an understanding intentional way in God's purposes so one's just sort of identifying yourself on the right side, but I would say it's like this. One's being a Husker fan. The other is being the eye bag. Yeah, and of course we wouldn't be talking about the kingdom of the heavens and the evil lurking into it except for the fact that operationally that's our enemies. And, and we don't talk about our enemies as if they're our friends in the kingdom of the heavens. We talk about our enemies as if they're enemies because of our operational uh, requirements. In other words... If I can just use my analogy. See, there aren't any, like you go down to Memorial Stadium on Saturday uh, and you're a fan. You really, you don't have any, I mean, okay, there's a little, there's a few Texas fans over there. But it's not like you have to do anything with them. They're there, they're there, they're there they are. But that's not part of what you do as a fan. What you do as a fan is you you cheer on your team. You may boo the other team. But as far as those, you don't have any operational aspect there. If I can just continue the analogy, yeah, the, in the kingdom of God you also have... Uh, those who uh, that hate the Lord and who crucified Him to do whatsoever God had planned to do. It's not about a physical geography. It's not about this thing is inside this thing. The, the best I can express it is, one, is a general sense that you can have of moral upright. The kingdom of God is God operating in moral rightness. Kingdom of the heavens is detailed and in the kingdom of God you can just observe it. In the kingdom of the heavens you're a player or you're not or you're not in it. Or you're not in it. You say, Well what do you mean I'm not in it? Well, you're not in the game. Uh, as a coach, uh, you you sometimes have to tell your players, Hey, get in the game or get your head in the game. It's not as if, you know, they're going out just shoulders and down playing cornerback, <laughs> but It's that their mind's not on it. Now, when I say say the kingdom, if I said the kingdom of the heavens will be fulfilled later, what I would mean there is that the kingdom of the heavens will become something that is not conflicted and that is visible and that operates smoothly and that will run the way it should later. There is a time when the heavens will rule over men smoothly without any conflicts, by fully qualified people who are not uh, uh, who are uh, placed there, and uh, it won't be a, a, in the form that's in today, which is mystery form. That is to say, we understand we understand it, but nobody else does. When the kingdom of the heavens becomes visible, when the heavens visibly rule over, when when the kingdom of heavens becomes the rule of men over men, headed up by God's perfect man, rather than than angels over men. Uh, when that when that happens, it'll be in a whole different form. It'll no longer be in mystery form. It'll no longer be conflicted. And that's why that's why in the coming millennium it said the Lord will rule with a rod of iron because all this sinners against himself he won't be putting up with. They'll still be sinners and they'll get whacked and punished immediately and visited it, it, they'll have I won't say the punishment. They'll have punishment for their evil deeds uh, visibly, obviously put to them, uh, consequent to their behavior. And nobody will get to go, well, if there's a God, why doesn't he? Because as soon as they say, if there's a God, they're going to get whacked uh, for even saying such stuff. Yeah, the anti-capital punishment people will be executed. And uh, I'll be happy in that day to see that go on, whereas I wouldn't today, because, see, today I got sin, and if God was doing that today, I'd get whacked. See, and I, so that's why I'm against it. For today. But but tomorrow I won't have any sin, and I hope to participate because I ain't getting whacked. And uh, okay, so all of that being said, that's why I want to get to I want to get to Romans eight here, uh, 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 scripture in Romans eight, because I think that when we see the things that are definite, and then the things of conditional, well, that's kingdom of God, that's kingdom of the heavens. So here, let me give you an example. The Spirit itself, verse excuse me, verse sixteen. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, what I'm trying to show you is things within the Christian life, like the second justification, which are there for you to obtain without conflicting with or reversing or jeopardizing the things that you already have. And that's, that's the way God is. God is interested in certifying to you certain things that you have certain status, certain stuff that you have. For example, you're justified today. You are declared righteous. You have eternal life. That means not only do you feel like you're on God's side or do you believe that you're on God's side, you are on God's side. That's over with. You're on God's side. You're there. You're His child. That's unchangeable. All right. That's immutable. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's done. You're on God's side. You're with God. That's the, I remember when I first got saved, that's actually what I would tell people. Because I didn't know what it meant to be saved, born again, anything like that. I just said, I'm with God. And He's with me. Me and God are okay with each other now. We weren't, but I am not. I'm with God. God's with me. So I used to tell people, I mean, People I knew, I go, well, I'm not explain. I'm with God. I know I'm with God now, and He's with me. Oh, that's just, you know, you're just goofy. Well, let me show you. I didn't, I didn't know what to. I didn't know how to. Pr- People would ask, prove it, kind of. So I just say, well, I'm going to pray for some. And we'll see if it happens, okay? That's, that's all I knew to do. And every time that actually, I didn't run around looking for those discussions. But whenever I didn't know what to say because I had no answers, I would just go say, well, let's go see what God does here. I'm going to, I'm going to pray for my job back, and I'll get it back. You watch. And I did. Now, pray for a new place, and I can afford like for one hundred seventy-five months. That's all I can afford, and I got it. Now, okay, I'm gonna pray. I want a son. I'm married. I want a son. I'm pray pray for a son. Oh, I got a son. And now, crazy as it sounds, and I know you ladies might not like this, but you know, I work nights, and the next morning, about ten o'clock, I said, I got me a son coming. Oh, how do you know that? I know. I know. Oh, that's ridiculous. You have no idea. It's not your body. And two weeks later, we're getting sick. And, of course, me, I'm cackling about it. I am. I'm being obnoxious. (laughs) Ha-ha! You're sick in the morning. This is what a woman wants to hear, right? Oh, fine. I got a son coming. It was a big fight. It was a big fight. Okay, fine. Pregnant. I mean, that was you know, you got lucky. Not just lucky. Let's pick a name. Okay. How about John? I like that name. John Joseph. Let's go with that one. What about a girl's name? Don't need a girl's name. It's a boy. See, the kingdom of the heavens is something you enter into with knowledge. Some things you enter into Christian life, you don't even have to know about them. This is a conversation I'll have with Pentecostals who... Pentecostals believe you can lose your salvation, and I'll get into a discussion with them. And, of course, they believe you can lose yours, but they don't really, really believe they're losing theirs. Not when you get right down to it. And if they, and they believe that if they lose it, they can get it right back again, and they don't have any scripture to find out how to get it back again, but they do get it back. And they all do. And I get into discussions with these people and try to correct them, but finally I say, you know, here's some good news for you. Now that we've had our discussion, here's the great news for you, and maybe you'll take some comfort in this. Even though you don't believe that you have eternal life and you can't lose it, you can't, so I'm not worried about you. To which they think you're being nice to them for saying that. Which in fact you're just still arguing with So here it says the spirit bears witness with our spirit with with our spirit. That we are the children of God. There's a ton to be said there. This great, more greatly elucidates some of the mechanics of the new birth. Uh, when I say mechanics, I mean the operations of the Spirit. It's part of the new birth. Sometimes you don't even know how to talk to people. They tell you, well, I, I think I'm a Christian. I don't know. If they're Christians, they, they will function according to the new man that's there. And uh, I don't say that you can just test the new man. But if there is a new man in the Christian, you can speak to it because the Spirit of God bears witness with the, with the new... I won't say it's not a new spirit that you get. You don't get a new human spirit. Your human spirit is, is said to be alive in the Scripture when it can communicate with God the Holy Spirit. Now, every man has a spirit. Even, even dogs have spirits. Uh, I say even dogs. I mean, Gretchen, come on. Who, who, who wouldn't notice that right away? I, I'm just wondering if Gretchen's going to be raised from the dead. I'm not sure that she is. I'm not saying she is. Don't go say I say that. But I'm wondering. Okay, so uh, I think there'll be dogs later. But there is a human spirit that God gives, and your spirit is never gone. And it is not that the, that, that there are genuine human beings that have no spirit. There are there are creatures. That, uh, Goliath had no spirit. Og had no spirit. Sihon had no spirit. The other Raphas, Goliath's brothers, had no spirit. These offspring of angels and women have no spirit. Interestingly, when I was in uh, Kenya with Karen, this uh, show, I, a Christian show, uh, they, they have all the they have these news shows. They had some people, the Christians getting on there and talking about, well, you know, it's a fact that we're going to have cloned people, and the question is, will they have souls? And I thought, that's such a stupid statement. Will they have souls? You don't even know what you're talking about. Well, I'm sure God will bless them. Just dumb. These offspring of angels and and women, and they say offspring because it doesn't say children. The Bible doesn't say children. Had no spirits. That's 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 in the book joke. Okay, they had no spirit. But every human being has a spirit. And when we say we're dead and trespasses and sins, there, that means two things. Number one, you're condemned to die and to not have a pleasant resurrection with God. That's what it means to be dead in... It's one thing it means to be dead in trespasses and sins. One thing it means is that you're condemned to die and... Which you might say everybody's condemned to die. I've already passed your death into life, so I have no condemnation whatsoever. See? Now, you're condemned to die and have participation in a resurrection that merely outfits you for eternal punishment. So you'll need a a resurrection body to sustain eternal punishment because these bodies cannot sustain eternal punishment. So if you haven't received Christ as your Savior, you're dead in trespasses and sins. And what that means is that you're condemned. You are facing at any second slipping off into a state that cannot be remedied whereby you await... A resurrection unto judgment, and then you'll be thrown into a lake burning with fire. You'll be outfitted to withstand it forever and ever, the torment and torture that God didn't create for you. He created for the for the devil and his angels, but you know you want to join him. So he's gonna let you. That's one thing it means to be dead in trespasses and sins. Uh, the other thing it means is that you have no ability for the spirit of God to communicate to you, and for you to communicate back to God. Now you can talk all you want, but you're just talking right out into the air. You can say God this and God that, like the like Muslims do, all of this and all of that, and and they're just all they're doing is talking to a demon. And uh, you know demons talk about God all the time. In fact. One of the characteristics of a demonized person sometimes is that they're just preoccupied with god uh, but the Christian has a new nature and and that new nature, part of that new nature is that your human spirit, which knows about you, has now the added facility of communicating to and from the spirit of God, and so God now can inform you about himself and you, and you can now. Communicate with God and draw upon uh, uh, in this new nature the Spirit of God, which operates in mysterious ways, and that's why we call it uh, regeneration, and uh, it's the new life. And so the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now that's the other thing that that, that you just got to realize that a Christian has one thing every Christian has. It just that's well here's one thing God does is He certifies. To that person that he's a Christian, <laughs> yeah. I, however confused and muddled he might be, and uh, whoo, I'll tell you, confused and muddled. I know I was there. You're all there. He's, you know, you're all. You've all been there at some point. But finally, there is this. Yes, I am. I look in the book and I go, okay. This is what a child of God is. Well, that's me. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, that's children, and that's God's children. The Bible word for children, and uh, it's true that there's one word for children, one word for child, which is a a word for... uh, It's So It's a a word for child. And there is a word for son. Heus. Now verse 15 above, if you said you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons. See, and there's a con, and there's a contrast, not a contradiction, not just a contrast, son to a child. What's they're both the same. A son is a child. A child's not necessarily a son. That doesn't mean that it means a child's a daughter. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. But the Spirit bears witness that we are children of God, not sons of God. So now, the Spirit of God communicates truth to us, but when we're led by the Spirit, what does it mean when you're led by the Spirit? What are you doing? When you're led by the Spirit, okay, now the Spirit is doing leading, what are you doing? You are following. I mean, you cannot be led by the Spirit if you are not following, right? So when you're following, you're doing as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are not the children of God, these are the sons of God. So I don't know if you're a child of God by whether or not you're following. I know that, you're a, that you are acting like a son when you're following. Just like I don't know if you're the friend of God when you're disobeying. I can only know you're the friend of God when you do whatsoever He commands you. Abraham was justified when he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness, and he was called friend of God. This now casting it in a different light, children, sons. What's the difference between a child and the son? This is a Jewish thought. We actually have it. We have we have this notion that, boy, it's time for you to be a man. Uh, it's time for you now to go out and time for you to start working on the computers. It's time for you to start coming out to ball practice. It's time for you to start shoveling manure out of the hog's pen. Sonship now is the presentation. That's why the Jews have a bar mitzvah. Isn't that the word bar means? Ah, it's a son, a Bar mitzvah. it's the mitzvah, it's the blessing of the son, it's the blessing of the son. okay, now Bat mitzvah they threw that in, you know because yeah see Christians don't need to do that. We don't need to say men this, women this, men this, women this because in in Christ those divisions are broken down there's not they're not there. We maintain different roles while we're in 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 this in the kingdom in mystery ways. see while the mystery form exists, but later it's all gone, so we don't really worry about such things. Um, the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of god if children then heirs now here's an interesting thing you see the scriptures now building for us and saying okay children sons children heirs so there's an heirship heirs heirs of god if children then heirs god's heirs this is a men, called the men day clause in the greek language and i and i don't like to signal those things that much except for it's a structure that's kind of nice because it's 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 an it's an it's an analogy structure which we need in our in languages. It's on the one hand, on the other hand, and it's not just the one hand, the other hand, as if opposite, but it's like I've set up this thing here, and this one corresponds to it. So it's a logical structure in language that can be a contrast or it can be a simile, either one. But it says if if children, then heir. So in other words, I need to be a child of God to be an heir, an heir of God. That's on the one hand. So a lot of times, men, day, okay, that's the men clause. Then there's the day clause, and then it gives a second one. And in English, we have to sort of go on the one hand, on the other hand, or we'll say if this, then this, else this. We can do an if and else, which is a logical structure in our language. Or uh, we can do this, but this. Sometimes it's... Sometimes you'll see it translated that way, where, where a contradistinction is made, understand, instead of a parallel. We'll use the word but to signify the turnaround. These are just logical structures. This is the two members of the same outline, for example, would be there. You'd have point one with A and B, and A and B now like just sync up with each other. So, if children and heirs, God's heirs, and that's emphatic, but, and this is day, joint heirs, Christ's co... This is actually... Uh, co uh, joint heirs heirs together with Christ that's another way put heirs together with Christ if so be that we suffer with him so in other words we have the first thing with its condition and what's the condition to be an heir of God be a child of God and what's the condition to be a joint heir with Christ we suffer with him co and and, it, and actually with even within that clause it's co it's it's heir together suffer together and of course that in the scripture is so Repetitive, that immediately our mind should should uh, seize on it, because you never could know the Lord Jesus Christ except that you know Him as the one who suffered and was glorified. Right, the sufferings and the glory—that is a great conundrum and puzzle to the Jews, why they thought there were two Messiahs or other other inventions of their minds that that puzzled over the the Isaiah 53 or other areas of Scripture was this idea of the sufferings and the glory and why they're always together. Well, they they were always together about Him, and they're still always together about Him, and why would you enter into what He entered into when He entered into it by the things He suffered, and now you enter into it by what? How is it and of course, joint heirship, co-heirship, heirs together, means we have it in common. We have a, a fellowship. We have a commonality. You're, you're an heir of God, but you're, you don't have Godship in common with Him. You don't have, you're, only the Mormons think that kind of idiocy. Well, not only the Mormons. There are other idiots that think like that. But you're not going to become God because you're an heir of God. You're not going to have God. You're not going to have god or Godhood in common with Him. You're an heir of God because you're His child, and He just gives it to you. But joint heirship, which is beyond general heirship, joint heirship has to do with now being identified together with Him because He, you see, the Lord Jesus Christ is God. So you might say, well, I'm an heir of God, so there, I'm there. And generally, that's right. Yeah, okay, so you're there. But now he also is the Lord Jesus Christ, a man who came out, and it's God's will that he's presented with specificity operationally in time and among men to do stuff in the race. And here's where the kingdom of the heavens gets detailed. You see, because God didn't just spin up, Things and sovereignly created, and his deity and his power is known, and that's the end of the story. That's just the beginning of the story. The rest of the story is God entered into the race of men, he entered into his creation, and he tinkered with it. He set it up one way, and he's tinkering with the creation. He's got a whole big inside-out kind of plan about the creation. And that is what? He created it this way, and then he visited man. And he was going to flip-flop man over the angel. And that's a big deal. say, well, I mean, you know, it's not a big deal to everybody. Yes, it is. It's a big deal to everybody. It's a big deal to the plants. If you love the plants, if you truly love the plants and you want to be at one with them, then believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because it's good for the plants. It's good for the soil. Now, you know, you want to be good to the earth? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because right now, because you're just such the sinful sucker that you are, the whole earth is just busy groaning. And and actually, if the earth could talk, it would curse back at you for the curse visited on it, because it's your fault. So if these trees could talk, they'd call you bad names. Now, this joint airship with Christ, if so be... Today, the truth is so rare that if you went into a Christian church where the Bible was studied, forget, forget all the vast numbers of so-called Christian churches where the Bible's never studied. In those, in those places, if you were just to walk in and say this, So, if children then heirs, heirs of God, but joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him. And you say, so if we don't, we won't. If you were to say that. If, if, if we don't, we won't. Then, then that's your last message. That's your last message. Uh, so, so now here we see this two tiers of the Christian life. And I, and, I, and I want to say that carefully because it's not really two tiers as if hierarchy, but it's, it's the distinction between that which is given at birth and guaranteed by birth to that which comes on the basis of faithfulness or let me put it this way, because birth comes by faith alone, there's a certain bundle of rights and privileges and enjoyments that come with the onset of faith. There are other rights and enjoyments and privileges that come through the process of faithfulness, which is unknown, really. I mean, it is unknown. You can know if you're unfaithful. It's just hard to know if you're faithful. That's what. That's what... Paul said, he said, I'm not hereby just It's a small thing. I don't care what you think. I don't think I'm unfaithful. But even that doesn't really matter. The one that judges me is the Lord. So he was never settled on his own faithfulness. I say never, but the Lord did actually give him certitude in Second Timothy that he had a crown. But as so many have pointed out, or as a few have pointed out, he was sure of that because he faced a martyred death. And... Uh, you know, the Lord visits you with what you need to face what you're facing. Uh, this, being, this being said, now, the kingdom of the heavens and entrance into it, is, which is not all only later, it's not all only later, it's only more evident and easier later. The kingdom of the heavens today in the form that it's in is under attack, and it's under conflict. And faithfulness is required, not just faith. Faith is, is your draft notice. Faith is your letter of induction. You're in the Army now. Uh, In the Gulf War, a new record was set. I think I've said this before, but I'll say it again. In the Gulf War, a new record was set uh, by the American military insofar as it's the only war in history that anybody can count where half the guys who were supposed to fire weapons fired weapons. Half the people who were supposed to fire weapons at the enemy did it. It's the only war. Either side, by the way. Doesn't ma- you know, doesn't matter which side you're on. That uh, I, And you say, oh, how do they know that? I don't know how they know that. I don't know. I don't know. Why do they go publish it if they don't know it? Maybe, they, maybe they're totally stupid and they just made this up. So then it's just a make-believe story that, that maybe we can learn something from. But, that's, and, but it makes sense to me because I don't know the last time half the Christians... Suited up for the warfare that that you're in, whether you like it or not. You know, you, you're on the battlefield. The only question is, will you fight? Will you fight? So we have the military analogy. We have the airship analogy. We have the faithfulness, ana- the faithfulness analogy. We have the purpose analogy, which is the purpose that the apostle Paul talks about. He said, you know, I've been grabbed hold of by God. Now that's that birth. One of the things you find out about your birth, and this fix this when you do your testimony. You know, when you make when you make, do, do this part. Don't say how, you know, you were looking for Jesus everywhere, you know, you looked under the, you, know, you looked everywhere, you looked in the trees, the sky, you couldn't find him, where, oh, where is Jesus? That's not what happened, see. What really happened is, he found you. See, he found you, chased you down somehow, cornered you, convicted you of your sins. You didn't, you know what, you didn't have anything. You had no alternative, really. Wait, you did. You thought you did, so you tried maybe some of those, or maybe didn't, but... <laughs> He he found you and he gave you your your start in your life and and he took a hold of you. That's what the apostle says in Philippians. He says, "I know that God has taken hold of me." Now my my problem is my problem is now I, I realize I'm in the hands of God, so that's secure. And then the Lord Jesus Christ says, "No man's able to pluck you out of my Father's hand." So of course of course there's just one hand there because the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ, the hand of the Father is just as one, right? The Lord. Jehovah, Elohim, Elohim, Adonai, is Jehovah, HaKad. And uh, it's just one hand, but see, we don't need to test God. He's got a hold of you. That's his hand. That's his grasp. No problem. The real problem is for Paul, and he says this in Philippians, is I need to take hold of that unspecified something for which God has taken hold of me. So in other words, he goes... Not only did God take hold of me, which is comforting, and He has me, and I'm not going to get plucked out, so that's good, but what I've learned is there's a reason for that. He's got a hold of me. My hands are free now to take a hold of that thing, that whatever, that purpose. So it's a purpose to to take hold of that for which He has taken hold of me. Now, I, every once in a while get emails or letters from people that say, you know, I'm kind of wondering... What's my you know, what's my purpose in life? Well, your purpose in life is one, to find your purpose in life. That's that's the first purpose of every Christian. And you say, Well, the first purpose for you in life is to find your purpose in life. First thing. So they say, Well, gee, I don't know. I don't know my purpose. Okay, well, all right. That that's this interesting little search that God puts you on. At least you don't have to go find out how to be saved. He already found you that. You don't have to go look for God. He already found you. you. He could give you real difficult things, but now he's given you to find out your purpose in life, and by the way, he guarantees you, you will if if you'll look. So this is sort of like, you know, mom and dad's Easter egg hunt. So It's like, you know, mom and dad hide something, and of course the fact is they're going to keep telling you where it is till you find it because they don't like melted... Chocolate, candy bar, you know, behind the sofa. So you know, they're gonna see to it that you find it. And and, and God will do that, and he'll he'll continue to 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 deal with you until you till you at least are looking. And then now the apostle says, I want to take hold of that. That is, I want to fulfill it. I want to fulfill that purpose. I want I want to find out what it is, and I want to do it. So that that was what made him take. That was his life, and then he says, Now do what I do, the way I do it. And in the world of Christians. None of this stuff is ever laid out. It's just never put together. Oh, I say never. It's just rarely put together. And we have a one... If we're a privileged church at all, and I think we are, the privilege that we have is to look at this stuff. Uh, but but here here you see it again. And then you have this wonderful thing that we may be glor, also glorified together. Now, there there's glorification, and there's glorification, and there's glorification. So I'll just say there's two of them anyway. There is the certainty of glorification, which is the resurrection body. But in 1 Corinthians 15, we also learned that one star differs in glory from another. So the fact that we're all glorified is not at issue. The fact of what your glorification is, how glorified. And, and when we say one star differs in, in glory from another, you, you know, the idea there is, you know, one's brighter than the other. And then, of course, the idea is the one that's brighter is somehow better or somehow more graced or more benefit so is the resurrection of the dead there there is going to be differences in glory we'll all have glorified bodies we'll all be with the Lord but the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't just an heir he's not just the heir of all things he's the joint heir you see sure he's the heir of all things I mean, he created all things he's on both sides of it but the joint heirship has to do with his humanity the way he went the sufferings he took and it has to do with the operations of the heavens over the earth. All the stuff that you're really pretty interested in. I mean, you really are. You're pretty interested in this stuff. You talk about it all the time. You think about it all the time. Who doesn't want to get ahead and do well and every other, you know, thing that you've ever wanted to do has to do with the operations of the way things are here. And now as a child of God, you say, well, yes, I still want to do well here as it's defined there, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, those angels that are that are faithful to God, He says, and they do, and His will is carried out knowingly, not by you know, not because somebody's tricked into doing God's will, as it were, or lied to in order to pur- purpose God's will, but the the heavenly angels who are dispatched by God know His will and do it. Immediate and we'd love to see that on Earth. Wouldn't you love to be that kind of a person? Well, uh, today God has made it such that it's a bit—it's a bit of a uh, trial for you. It's a bit of a difficulty. You've got the warfare going on inside your own self, and just out there, it, you have two natures warring in here. And by faith, by grace through faith is the only way, therefore, that you qualify and carry out His purposes in the angelic conflict. Okay, we didn't talk about how the angelic conflict works. We didn't talk about the mechanics of it. It's been there a long time. Once you see it and then you back up into the Scriptures... You'll see a lot of it—the manipulation of heaven by technique and magic words—and it's all demonic. That's that's the old, that's the pagan religions, the demon religions. That's what how demons lie to man. If you just do things this way, then you can manipulate the heavens on your behalf. If you just do things this way, then you actually are the master of the heavens, which is which is blasphemy. When we line ourselves up with the Word of God and the will of God, it's not as if we're actually doing something. Uh, one good example of this is First Corinthians five. In 1 Corinthians five, for example, and this is this is contextual with whatsoever you bind on earth is already. It's it has to do with really judging rightly within your own uh, in your midst. Now Matthew eighteen is not about the church which is his body because it wasn't there, but it, it's consistent with. It. So the Lord introduces the seed truth. Or we say the seed truth of the principle that when, you're, when you are brought together to judge, two or three, what you rightly judge, don't worry that you're bringing that judgment onto that person. You're not. So where two or three gather together and judge that evil deed and say, brother, that's an evil deed, and we're not going to have anything to do with you because you're not admitting it. Don't think you've just done something to your brother. You didn't do anything to your brother except tell him the truth. That had already happened in heaven. So when when 1 Corinthians 5 comes along and the Apostle says, put that wicked person out from you, that guy had already been kicked out of the church. In fact, the Apostle said, I've already done this. Because he lined himself up with that. That guy had already been kicked out. The problem wasn't about that, that. God kicks out who needs to be kicked out for the right reasons. They were the ones failing because they hadn't judged rightly and lined themselves up and they didn't do that guy any service either by giving him confusion that somehow he hadn't been. And uh, it's not that, that 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 they did something to him, it's that they aligned themselves up with what had already been done in heaven. It's just a it's just to line up with heaven and, and reflect accurately what God has already done. And that's by the way, that's our problem with evangelism and everything else. Our problem is we need to say what God says. Romans eight now verse seventeen and I want to what we're doing is we're trying to distinguish the things that differ some of the things that are the same together and then we're trying to take apart the things that are different together I, I've just I've just gone down this road so that we'd understand the difference between the things that we must enter into and win compared to the things that we have entered into and possess when we look at things that differ. When we, when we learn to distinguish the things that are different, it it doesn't mean that they're against each other. It just means that when, when you say things in a summary way, you have to look at details to actually take that summary apart and say, well, now here's what this is and here's what that is. This is normal life as you gain detailed knowledge. One of the, one of the problems in our society is that we're walking around without detailed knowledge about anything. I was thinking about this this week, especially uh, because we have some uh, we have some really tremendous athletes. What I was thinking about somebody talked about Rush Limbaugh being the Babe Ruth of uh, of talk radio, and I thought, well, that's kind of a good analogy, you know, because cause here's a guy who who was so much ahead of everybody in, in in baseball. He still really is. I mean, nobody has ever done what he what he uh, what he did. And I started thinking, you know, men are funny. And accomplishment is not not important. And as I was thinking about, okay, a guy talked about Babe Ruth. I thought, well, that guy had all the all the skills and everything. But today we've got these tremendous physical specimens. And you know, if, if but I was thinking about these physical specimens that these guys are. I mean, it's amazing the the. the uh, the uh, just the athletic characteristics of some, of of, uh, of these professional athletes today, like in baseball, uh, no comparison from uh, physically between the average guy today and the average guy thirty years ago. But do you know, you watch a baseball game today, and these guys don't know what to do. Now that you may, I know that sounds really high-minded. You know that that here I am. I you know I never played baseball in any decent league really. But I knew what to do with the ball. I had detailed knowledge of baseball and what to do at all times. But you watch a baseball game, it's very rare that somebody shows their detailed knowledge. Now, I've come to, over the last couple of years, about three years, I've come to know more about trades. Do you know what it's like to find a skilled tradesman? I mean, a man who just handles his skill and develop is highly skilled and developed his skill so that he's a, an independently reliable fellow that knows what to do in a multitude of circumstances in his field. It's so rare that you just don't find it. and that's detailed knowledge. How often do you find a guy that's got vast, detailed knowledge on the thing he does? I mean, when you see it, it's a wonderful thing. But how many slackers do you run across, guys that don't really even know the trade? In my business, the same thing. Guys don't know the details. They make ridiculous mistakes uh, in their applications and their ideas. er, Everywhere you look, people are lacking that kind of, and this, this, I've said it before, I'll say it again, this is normal genius. Now, genius, in its proper application of the term, genius is not that you're better than everybody else. Really, that's not what it's about. What it's about is the development of your ability. I'd say probably the most highly developed ability that we have are our advanced television skills. Oh, yeah, put a remote in your hand and you're something. But uh, well, really, uh, it, it's not just characteristic of us in the Scripture. It's characteristic mm-hmm. of us as a people in our society. But Now, that's, that's application out there in the world. But, of course, and I talk about money and I talk about those things because that is the test area, that is the um, way that, that God proves to you how you are. He uses, that's his laboratory, not for you to prove him, it's not that God proves himself real in his laboratory, he doesn't need to prove himself real. You need to prove yourself in the laboratory God has made for what you are. Now, the scripture talks about, don't be the servants of men, you serve as unto the Lord, if you're a servant of men, don't worry about that. Because the one who's a servant of men is a free man in the Lord. If you're a free man, don't get so high-minded about that because you are a servant of the Lord. So you both know what it's like to be both, but you serve as unto the Lord. And and that's our laboratory. But what really God wants us to do is to have detailed knowledge of the Scriptures. Now these things go hand in hand. You show me a guy that's really crappy in his work and he will not understand the Scripture. I'm serious. You show me a man that won't work, and I'll show you a man that didn't know the Bible. In fact, you want to go out and check out all the pastors and teachers and men of, you know, that 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 say they do this for a living, you will find out that they neither know how to work nor do they understand the scriptures. Okay, you can tell me I'm high-minded, fine. Get your own experience about it then. Lord desires for us to develop a detailed knowledge. And when we develop a detailed knowledge, we can begin to take apart things like Romans 8.17, which we covered last time. Now, I want to point out to you some other things in the, uh, in the Scripture because we know that the fundamental principle, grace through faith, and that's a principle, that's the way God operates. That's the way we also walk. That principle doesn't change. So then what's up with verse 24? Romans 8.24, we're saved by hope. But actually, hope is the agency that we're saved in the context here. It says, we're saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for it? What that doesn't mean is that you're saved by invisible things. I mean it's not the Bible here is not trying to tell you that invisible things save you. Now, God's not visible to you, he saves, that's a truth, but the Bible is not trying to say here that you're you're invisibly saved, that you're saved by invisible agents contemporaneous with you. What what the Bible's trying to say here is that you cannot have hope in a present sense. And the Bible rolls time out for us uh, far more. Uh, the, the advanced knowledge in the Bible has much more to do with our view of time than it does with the physical universe. In fact, to an extent, you're advantaged uh, in the study of Scripture if you're not so busy observing the physical universe. You know the guys who do that, they go out and they say, Oh God, we thank you for the leaves in the Wind and the trees and the beautiful weather, and uh, but uh, you know that's sort of like going over to your kid's house and you you walk in and your son says to you, well, hello, Mr. Malone. You're like, well, that's accurate, but it's not especially uh, friendly. It's not particularly intimate. And he, you know introduce you to your grandkids and he goes, this say hello to Mr. Malone. He's your grandfather. And then and then your your granddaughter says, hello, grandfather. I mean, it's accurate. It's not intimate. Intimate knowledge of the Lord doesn't come, but time, on the other hand, is something that God, that God does that God does display His His uh, intimacy in. And hope. Now, that's what the Bible teaches. We're saved by hope. Rem, uh, First Corinthians tells us uh, there, there that, that there are these three. There's faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. But it, but they're not the same. You know, sometimes people will tell you things are the same in order to explain them when they're actually different, and then they crunch them. One of the famous things that people want to tell you is the same, where you need to distinguish that they're different, is faith and works. And, and, I, and, and almost invariably, when somebody tries to explain to you faith and works, and Abraham was justified by faith, he was justified by works, then they'll tell you stuff like this. Faith is an action term. That's the way they usually start out. You know, faith is an action word. It isn't an action word. kind of a sedentary word believe believe you disbelief also you know more or less motionless but that's how start out faith is an action word and so you see faith really it's works is really faith and works they're really they're really just two aspects of the same thing and the, and the next thing you know faith and works is the same thing faith is works works is faith might as well not have two words it becomes meaningless might as well close the book I'll never figure this out but but scripture says faith is hope and love are three different things and hope hope is not the same as faith although they're related we are saved by hope but hope that is not seen hope that is seen is not hope this is a moving this is God's description of a moving picture this is how God describes hope in fact if you look at if you look at the at the Book of Romans, we find out that hope is is uh, not not only this, but we'll find earlier in the book of Romans we'd see Abraham believed God and it was counted him for righteousness. But hope now is has got to be in the future because you see the present. It's not about invisible agencies that are in the present. It's about a frame of time you get thirty frames on your television per second. That's what God's talking about with things unseen. He's talking about the 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 not the stuff on the take up reel. That's where you were saved, okay? If you see now, I'm even talking about technology that's not used anymore. Uh, your VCR, you know, it's not the part that's going to the left; it's the part on the right. So uh, you have to fast forward, you know. And that and it, it's as if God brings frame, and that's what He says the Lord Jesus Christ is. He says by whom in the book of Hebrews, by whom He framed the ages. That's why it's important for us to understand that the ages are framed. By the word of God. See, the ages have frames, and 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 God will move them in front of you. And the nice thing about being a Christian is through the Bible, you know, you can go to the library and and run the past, and 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 you can stand out and look at the past and the future. And you can, if you have a summary view of things, a high level view, you can look at the whole deal. Whereas when you're living your own life, you only look at the little tiny things. And that's why God advises us to look through the eyes of our understanding, the eyes of our heart, that they be open so that we can see the moving picture of time that he has, not only for his whole great plan, but even for your own tiny life. When you know the future that's coming, when you know what's coming down, and, and of course, the the center of God's great disclosures to us is not about the regurgitations of the past, even though we have those. In other words, the Scripture does record the past, but what is the great blessing for the believer and the reason that the Lord had to leave and send the Holy Ghost to us, the the great thing about His plan is He'll show us things to come. And so the great the great uh, pleasure and the great privilege and the great motivator of the believer is to see things that are coming, things to come. And uh, God had to embed that privilege into the Scripture. Two thousand years ago, when it was written, so that we could still see things to come. Uh, Nineteen hundred years later, like now, or, or uh, two thousand years, uh, nearly two thousand years later. And as we see the things coming, of course, we see the things. We look far ahead and we see the the coming of the Lord, and we see the wonderful things that are for us. And as we see those, we have what? We we have hope, but we're not hoping for that which we see. In fact, if you can see it, if it's present, if it and I, listen, I'm going to tell you this. That includes tomorrow, just tomorrow afternoon and so forth. If you can see it, it's not hope. But if it's that is see with your eyes, but if it's afar off and you know it's coming, though it is though it is something different than what is, now it can become hope. And let me tell you something else about that. You don't hope for something that is less than what is. You don't hope for something that is less than what already is. So, for example, let's say you're camped in front of your television set Saturday, and you're you're watching the Kansas State Nebraska game. And let's say you're a Nebraska fan, just for instance. And Nebraska's ahead seven to nothing. And the, but the game started out zero zero, and now it you know you're you're fifteen seconds into the game at seven to nothing because uh, because Kansas State fumbled the opening kickoff on the two yard line, and three plays later Nebraska scored. And uh, <laughs> Uh, fumbled it into the end zone. It was recovered by alignment. Uh, you, you now are a Nebraska fan. You don't hope that it's three to nothing. You don't hope that it's, it, cause it's seven to nothing. You don't say, oh, I hope it's, I hope it's three to nothing. I hope it's six to nothing. You don't hope anything like that. You hope, your hope now is, I hope we score three more times the next two minutes. It's always got to be something better, right? It's always got to be something advancing. Let me just put it that way. So you don't hope, but, uh, you see, so, so your your hope also has to do with right something better. Otherwise, it's called dread. And the scripture has no really. The scripture doesn't want us to dread. Although it tells us that we can get in such a condition in the faith that we have a certain what instead of a hope and a boldness. We have what a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation that devours the enemies. then not devour us, but devours enemies. Uh. So, so we're now now it says but. This is the word that's interesting. We're saved by hope. Now, if the scripture says we're saved by hope, and hope is what again? Hope is tied up with the what? The future. And it says we're saved by hope, how can you say that you're saved already? All right? Cuz but does the scripture say you're saved already? John 5, right? He that's believed and passed through death into life, he is saved already, right? He has eternal life. So, so here's another controversy. Here's another place where well, the Bible contradicts itself. Well, that's what people say. Or, I don't know how to explain it. Well, that's because, if you don't know how to explain it, that's because you have not yet learned what the Apostle and I and others hope that you'll do, which is distinguish the things that are different. But if I'm saved now, and I'm saved by the future, and, 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 and in fact, it doesn't just say you could... You could Somebody could say, well, that means you stay saved. Well, no, that's not what that says, though, because it says, if if it was now, it wouldn't be hope. So it's not like you have something now and you just preserve it. That's not what it's about, or else it, it would already be now. It could not qualify, according to verse 24, as hope, because I see it, and I know it. I know I'm saved for my sins right now. I enjoy it. I have a good conscience before God and men. I have eternal life. I have the deposit of the Spirit. I'm enjoying the forgiveness of sins, righteous men. I have eternal life. I'm enjoying that. Even in this mortal body, I still enjoy eternal life. So it can't be this, because this says, if it's seen, it can't be in this. World. So it has to be something different. And so am I not saved, or am I saved? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. See? Now, just like how could I be justified and not justified, how can I be saved and not saved, except that what? There's at least two salvations. And of course, you say, oh, that's so crazy. That's not crazy. I can give you a journey. At the beginning of your journey, you have to cross the highway. There are quite many large trucks coming down the highway. And a little further down your journey, there are some uh, pit bulls. Now, once you've crossed the highway, you're saved from what? The trucks. Are you saved from the pit bulls? Haven't got there yet. So you're saved, and you're not saved. Now I dare say the truck is a, a worse time for you mono a mano, than than the pit bull. It is. We guys say, well I know those pit bulls are tough. When's the last time you stood up to a truck? And so so we can be we can we can know salvation more than one time. The question is, remember the word saved always implies what? Saved from something. I, I hear people say you're saved to something. Well, you're saved from something. You're saved from something. Now, you're headed to something, but you're saved from something. And and if you're headed to something and you got to get saved again, you need to know what that something is that you're going to be saved from. Sure, it's yourself. I agree with that. Of course it's you. It's always you. You got saved from your sins. You didn't get saved from... When you receive Christ your Savior, you didn't get saved from somebody else's sins. You didn't get saved from the consequence of somebody else's sins. That's why you deserve the lake of fire yourself. You deserve the worst. God saved you from it. You still uh face a jeopardy. And that's and here in, in Romans eight, it it, it, it uh oh, it's a it's a marvelous chapter. We, 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 we're not taking it all up. I'm just pointing out to you that there are these things that you need to distinguish that are different in the Scripture. And once you understand that salvation, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved. And they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were saved. We're saved from the second death. We're saved from the lake of fire. We're saved from the punishment. Do our sins. But we have not yet been saved from a worthless Christian life. And I might even say this. You have not been saved from an embarrassing Christian life. You have not been saved uh, from a cowardly and scary rendezvous with the Lord Jesus Christ.